Today's sermon, when boiled down, is about being right with God. Now that phrase means different things to different people. How you think about God and about yourself in relation to God determines what it means. But even if being right with God won't register the same for everyone here, I do think that if you identify yourself as a person of faith, you will value being right with God, however you conceive of God. Now, this is Matthew's concern, too. In fact, all through this book, Matthew's primary agenda seems to be for his readers to be right with God. For us to keep clear and unclogged and uncorrupted the connection between our lives on this earth and our life with God as citizens of God's realm. Now there's another key phrase, God's realm, or as Matthew puts it, the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is that sphere in which God's rule is recognized and respected. Now, first, let's review uh, where and when Matthew's gospel emerged. As I mentioned in my introduction to this series, the most likely social, political, and geographical context where this particular gospel emerged in the early church was sometime after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD somewhere around Antioch of Syria, 300 miles north of Jerusalem. I reminded us that the siege of Jerusalem by Caesar's army not only resulted in the temple and palace and other key buildings being reduced to rubble, but over one million Jewish people dying in that mass murder. Now, we must remember that Matthew is writing, most likely, to a fairly new Jewish Christian community in Antioch a few short years after this unspeakable trauma. Matthew's audience was only a few hundred miles from ground zero. Living in the heart of the Roman Empire surrounded by Gentiles who were loyal to the same Caesar who had just committed genocide against their people. Every member of the Christian community in Antioch and every member of the Jewish synagogue locally would have been on a high alert, would have been grieving for the loss of relatives in Jerusalem, grieving a loss of a place to go home for Passover and other religious festivals. These were wounded and traumatized people who were also becoming more distant from each other. The Jews in Antioch who believed in Messiah Jesus and those who didn't had very different understandings of what it meant to be right with God. They had very different understandings of what the phrase kingdom of God meant. It created a gulf that ultimately could not be bridged. And followers of Jesus were separated from their synagogue 
Acts chapter 11, verse 26, even tells us that it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. That separation, that schism, was so profound that they were given a new name, a new identity distinct from their Jewish cousins. It's a sad chapter, the Jewish-Christian schism, a rather long and complicated chapter, and one we can't really undo 2,000 years later. But my point today is not to evaluate that schism. It is to say that we can't fully understand Matthew without naming those conflict dynamics that were front and center for the first people reading this gospel. So does all that color our reading of today's text? It should. Here, Matthew has Jesus saying, don't judge so that you will not be judged. You'll receive the same judgment you give Whatever you deal out will be dealt to you. What goes around comes around. Why do you see the splinter that is in your brother or sister's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? I think there might have been a lot of judging going on in Antioch among the Christians there. Judging the leaders of the local synagogue who ousted them. Judging the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem. Judging their Roman neighbors who were part of the system that was crushing them. Judging even new Gentile believers in Jesus joining their community. Right there in Antioch, in that Christian community, there were multiple cultural, ethnic, and religious frameworks that were colliding with each other. And this was true inside the church, and it was true between the church and their community. Does this sound like familiar territory for the church of today? Conflict with prevailing cultural values conflict with other religious frameworks held sometimes right inside our own church bodies by people we call sisters and brothers. As an example, our Virginia Mennonite Conference did some sober self-reflection yesterday in our delegate session in D.C. And thanks for your prayers for us, by the way. We ended with a ritual of lament and every delegate and pastor went home with one of these broken pottery shards as a grim reminder of the current state of the church. Yet, as a prayer for hope that God might create a new vessel from these broken shards, Maybe we aren't that far from Antioch. What goes around comes around. Well, here is the heart of 
Matthew's message, if you want to be right with God, if you want to be part of the kingdom of heaven, pay attention to your relationships with your human family. There is a direct line that connects your relationships with other humans and your relationship with the God who loves them all. What clogs up your relationship with your neighbor will clog up your communion with God. What goes around comes around. That message is repeated all through Matthew and nowhere more often and more repeatedly than in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's uh, chapters 5 to 7. Why do you see the splinter that's in your brother or sister's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? It's one of the classic questions that Jesus posed. In the face of so much conflict in the wider culture and the church, so much political polarization, theological difference, and moral and ethical divides, it is only human nature to try to deal with that by shoring up our in-group identity, surrounding ourselves with people like us, turning up the volume on judging others, even our neighbors and members of our faith family. As we draw into our tight circle those who are like us and create distance from those who are not, we create a self-fulfilling prophecy. Our own way of thinking is reinforced. It's even easier then to find fault with those who challenge us. And the more we amplify the us and them, the more likely we get entrenched in our own thinking and unwilling to be challenged. Now, being birds of a feather and flocking together is normal human nature. It's not wrong, but it's not virtuous either. Now, let's be clear about this judging bit. Jesus wants us to be discerning. Jesus does not encourage lazy thinking. Not every moral framework is morally equal. In this same sermon, Jesus tells us to discern right and wrong. Beware of false prophets, Jesus said. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes don't grow on thorn bushes. And figs don't grow on thistles. But there is a difference between discerning and judging. To discern is to perceive a difference and take note of it and exercise caution in how we live, trusting God with the consequences. To judge is to take over God's job, to be 
judge and jury and carry out the punishment. Jesus does not ask us to cut ourselves off from those who offend us. Jesus asks us to be wise and discerning. And that starts with self-discernment. It's an act of great humility and great courage to look carefully within and see the log or splinter in our own eye. If we can't see those logs and splinters, it's certainly not for lack of them being there. I assure you, they are there. So do we still want to be right with God? Matthew inquires of us. Well, get ready, there's more. It goes beyond not just not judging those who look at things differently than we do. That's the easy part. Earlier in the sermon that Jesus is giving here, Jesus brought home a point that's much harder to hear. So hard that many Christians today find convenient workarounds to avoid the demand altogether. Turns out our relationship with God also depends on how we relate to our enemies. We jumped over these verses in the lectionary, so let me just read a few excerpts from Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, you must not oppose those who want to hurt you. If people slap you on the right cheek, you must turn the left cheek to them as well. When they wish to haul you to court and take your shirt, let them have your coat as well. You've heard that it was said you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. If you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? If you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? You know, human relationships that rely on equality and reciprocity are natural. They're not wrong, but neither are they virtuous. It's simply what everyone does without trying. But do you want to live like children of my family, God asks us through Matthew? Then love your enemies. Show goodwill to those who oppose you and persecute you. you know, in the human realm, Natural consequences rule the day. But in God's realm, the kingdom of heaven 
we are called to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile, to love our enemies. And doing so breaks the cycle of normal. It throws our opponents off balance because they were assuming a certain kind of response from us and got something they weren't prepared for. It gives God space then to enter into that situation and create something new, a new pot from broken shards maybe. And God redeems what was meant for evil and transforms it into a blessing for the kingdom. Don't know about you, but I want to be part of that work of divine redemption. I want to be that kind of right with God. I want to live within that realm of God. Let us look to Jesus for help, for strength, and for courage. And that is the attitude in which we invite all of you to come to the Lord's table this morning.